welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter one of The Subtle Knife, The Cat and the Hornbeam Trees. Ah! Book two! <laughs> we made it! <laughs> we did! Well, hello, Rachel. Hello, Faye. How are you? I'm good. I I feel all like I don't know what to do in a book episode. It's been so long. I'm all nervous. Yeah, yeah. We've been we've been on quite the break. We've been on a except break. for also not because we released two whole episodes in the break. We did, and we did so much more as well. We were like, we're gonna have a oh break because we deserve it. And then we were like, do you know what we should also do? Not have a break. And that's what happened. <laughs> Yes, what we've learned is we are not good at... I will post it on the podcast Instagram account, the meme that is, like, it's like a Viking guy and it says, pick your battles. And then underneath it's like, no, put some, put some battles down. Put some of those <laughs> battles down. Less battles. Because <laughs> that's me. I just like, I just keep picking new things up every time. And like, we have a break and I'm like, oh, it means there's so much more time for more activities. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then we do loads of things. We did a lot. We did so much. But before we get into that, how are you? How are you? Aside from the fact that I'm having an absolute mare at the moment, um, <laughs> just, I was having a perfectly nice day and then all of the technical issues have befallen me in the last hour. Rich couldn't find a place to podcast. <laughs> I couldn't. It's fine. I forgot to tell my housemates that I needed the, uh, our little office space to podcast in and um, they had lots of plans of things that they wanted to get done in the office so I've vacated myself to the living room which I'm very lucky to live in a house that has a spare room and a living room but that's the joy of sharing a house with multiple humans <laughs> yeah that is that is true I just Liam just sits in the bedroom bless him in our little one bedroom flat I'm like Liam do you mind and he's like okay then <laughs> the joys of being super professional podcast people <laughs> exactly we are so professional we have we have adequate space for doing a podcast of course we do how how dare you ask <laughs> and while I've been on a break I've been like oh hey do you know what I learned to do this year mix and master a podcast Hell because yeah. I've taken over doing that from Johnny and for some reason I'm like it's a new season and I'm like reappreciating all the skills we've learned in season totally. one slash book one. And like now we've come back and like, don't expect us to be that much better, but I feel like we've come back stronger. <laughs> totally. <laughs> don't expect too big of a thing. I was going to say, we know so much more now than we did in the first book. And it's super amazing to think about all the people that we've spoken to as well. Oh my God. So great. And hopefully we'll get some of those voices back, those familiar voices now, in during season two of the show. Um, but yeah, like during the break, we spoke to Caroline McCall. She was amazing. Fucking loved that. Yes. Yes. Caroline was wonderful to talk to. And I could tell she was so keen to talk about season two of the TV series. And I really want to talk to her about the witches because they look hot. They look so fucking hot. Luckily, a lot of the people we've spoken to are like, oh yeah of course we'll come back after season two so yes yeah. amazing and the other thing that we did among other things but the other thing that we were in your ears for was we spoke to Kristen Russo can you believe yes. it 
As if we've been fangirlily slyly <laughs> mentioning buffering the vampire slayer in our episodes consistently. And then we actually got to speak to one of the hosts of Buffering about their journey with the books, which is so exciting. When you find out that somebody that loves something you love also loves another thing that you love, it's very exciting. Totally. And <laughs> I think I said this in the actual episode, with, uh, in the outro, when we spoke to Kristen, but it's so nice to hear somebody that, that we look up to and admire for hosting Buffering and for doing all the work that she does in the queer communities. Like you said, also loving another thing that you love and talking about that is so interesting because we're so used to hearing her talk about Buffy that to come in and talk about Lyra and everybody else, it was like, ah, amazing. Other amazing things that we did during the break that were super fun where we did a cute little like video for Patreon where we went through some quizzes of like, what's your demon and like, what character are you? And that was really fun and Mm -hmm. just kind of silly. Uh, Faye worked really hard going through all of our old episodes and has done a blooper reel, which is very embarrassing for me to listen to, but hopefully fun for you to listen to. Embarrassing for you. I literally do the biggest fucking burp that has ever fucking been done. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which is all accessible on our Patreon and that's very exciting because we've had a couple of new patrons over the break as well, which Yay! is so exciting. So we need to say a big thank you shout out to Leanne and Kian. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Leanne. <laughs> thank you, Kian. We appreciate you. And yes. thank you for supporting us. It means a lot. Yes. And all of our witch and alethiometrist patrons have received cute little goodie envelopes full of merch because we do merch now we, we have a shop merch. now we, we took a, a break and now we have a shop <laughs> ah, we have a shop and all the stuff is so great it's all the original artwork from rach so we've got bookmarks we've got so many bookmarks <laughs> oh my god so many bookmarks which is very exciting i'm using one right now while I'm reading. <laughs> we've got bookmarks, we've got stickers, we've got an A4 sticker sheet, which is literally all of the artwork that Rich did for Northern Lights. That's all included on one sticker sheet and it's fucking amazing. So you can get those or you can get a bundle of it all together. And we ship worldwide and you can find it on our website. So hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. Yay! Yeah. It's so exciting. I really love packaging everything up. Oh my God, me like, too. <laughs> writing little notes to people like, thank you for buying a thing because you listen to us in your ears. <laughs> One of the other things that we wanted to talk to you, I feel like this intro is very businessy. Usually it's it just like moaning about shit and talking about shit, but we actually have things to tell you. So the other thing that we wanted to mention is obviously you guys know that we bloody love an email and we yes. bloody do. We usually read some of them out in these episodes, in these book episodes, but we've decided to start compiling them and do extra mailbag episodes. We don't know what what they're going to be called yet. We were trying to think of some good punny Perhaps just, we bloody love an email. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think of that. And then you said it and I was like, "Eh." Um, yeah, we've had so many great emails. And I feel sometimes like because we're trying to keep the intro manageable, we don't always go into enough detail on some of the emails we've had because some of them are really long and really wonderfully extensive and so many people put so much effort into them that I feel like they a lot of our emails that we've had deserve longer to unpack so yeah basically what we want to say here is if you do if you have any thoughts opinions questions anything to do with the books like how you came to them your stories your opinions on characters send them our way 
her.materialspod at gmail.com or you can go on our website and fill in the submission form there. So that's hdmpod.co.uk and we'll com- compile them. And then at some point during the subtle knife, hopefully if we get enough, we'll do a little mailbag episode. What would your demon be this week? It's been so long that I almost forgot to do that. Oh my God. Um, I think in honor of this chapter and how lovely I felt reading this chapter, I just, I'm feeling really in tune with my cat demon already. Yeah, I feel like he'd just be his regular old cat self. And I also haven't seen our my neighborhood friend cat in a while. She's not been in the garden in ages and I miss her. And so, yeah, Aww. I really want a cat. It's funny because I also went for a cat this week. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Mine's not as, like, nice as your story. So <laughs> I've been going through some shit and, like, everything feels like... I'm sure a lot of people are feeling this wherever you are, really, with the pandemic and it's been six months and it's not going anywhere. And, like, everything just feels a bit, like, relentless and, like, monotonous. It's just, like, the same shit all the time. And it's it's a lot. So... this is gonna get a bit dark like i googled um what animals have like repetitive behavior or like have a routine that they always stick to and the first thing that came up which i refuse to have as my demon but i'm gonna tell you anyway is that it happens to a lot of animals in captivity which is really sad they'll have like repeated behaviors that have nothing to do with their life so it's nothing to do with like food or mating or anything it's just because they're in captivity and it's so horrendous for them being in captivity that they do these horrible repetitive behaviors anyway i wasn't going to tell you that but it here it is and i'm sorry that it's quite dark so (laughs) (laughs) it's fine it's fine i got rid of that because i'm like i'm not having that i'm not having my demon be like an animal in captivity that is not what i want so then i did a separate google and i used the word routine rather than repetitive uh and apparently cats Cats have a routine, like they have a thing that they do each day or like when they're patrolling around the neighborhood or wherever they might be, they do it in a certain way, in a certain order. So I was like, yes, I'll, I'll have that instead of the horrifically dark one that I originally thought of. Yes, we've accidentally disrupted one of the neighborhood cat's routines. Oh, no. He routinely walks along the fence between the, our house and the one next door and it's like opposite the window where you're standing when you're like washing the pots. But he's also a horrible little bastard that poops in our garden and pees on our barbecue and just pees on everything. And we don't like him. He is a mean cat compared to the other cat who is my friend. I have favourites, okay? (laughs) Um, And we've disrupted his routine because sometimes when we see him about to pee on things, we run out into the garden and make ourselves really big and make a loud noise to scare him away. Oh my God. It's not cool. We would never like physically... Like we wouldn't spray him with water or do anything like that, but we just go and we make ourselves big and make a loud noise and then he runs away. I think now his routine is he gets to like halfway along the fence and then he drops into the neighbor's garden instead of our garden. <laughs> and occasionally we'll see him coming across our garden, but he looks really worried and then he sprints to the neighbor's garden. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this poor, poor cat. cat. We've ruined his patrol. Oh no, <laughs> patrol cat. poor patrol cat before we get into the chapter i wonder if anybody noticed that our intro music has changed a bit so during the break slash during the past year or so uh johnny has been playing with the intro and he's learned loads of new exciting music skills and he's applied them to our 
theme music so Yay. it's new book new theme music very exciting yes i fucking love it i love the drums it's very yes. uh, it's very my chemical romance just just for the oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> i remember he so I'm so sorry, Johnny. He really <laughs> hates it when I try and describe. I'm not a music person. I'm a very visual person. And so when I tried to describe how we might want the sound of the music changing slightly for the second book, I was like, oh, well, you know, so we kind of, we're in Lyra's world, but we're also in our world and we meet a new character and there's a lot more of like a masculine energy um, introduced and there's a lot more modern vibes introduced Make and he was like Johnny. how do I how do I introduce masculine energy to this piece of music I was just I'm too vague I'm too fluffy and vague and I and then he put drums in and I was like that's what I meant masculine energy thank you very drums. much drums equal <laughs> men apparently <laughs> according to my brain uh, yeah but it's it's great I fucking love it Yes, I love it. Woo-hoo. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we hope you enjoy it too. Also, that's another thing our patrons got. We posted their old music on Patreon for everyone. So they could download it and have it for themselves if they want, because it's super nice. I imagine it'd be quite nice as an alarm to wake up <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, I was just thinking that, because mm-hmm. it's very chill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll we'll also put the new theme music up at some point soonish. Yeah, <laughs> we shall. Woo-hoo. New music, new book. Should we do it? Let's do it! <laughs> Yay! In the final chapter of Northern Lights, our dear darling Roger was murdered by Azrael. The energy released by his death created a bridge to the city in the Aurora. Mrs. Coulter arrived and Azrael tried to convince her to go into the other world with him. She refused and he went alone. Lyra and Pan decided that they will try and find the source of dust before Asriel does and walked over the bridge and into the city in the sky. In the first chapter of The Subtle Knife, we meet Will Parry, a boy from a world that is very much like ours. Will and his mum flee from men who have broken into their house looking for information on Will's dad. Will accidentally kills one of the men and runs away. He stumbles across a window to another world and climbs through. In this brand new world, Will meets Lyra. Yay, Lyra. I feel, before we get into like the actual, what happens in this chapter, I feel like everybody probably had a very similar experience when they first read this book because Mm -hmm. you've just left Lyra. And already, even just after reading this first chapter, the events of the last book seem so far away, even though we know it's only a few days. But anyway, you start this book, you open it, the first word is Will. And you're like, who the fuck is Will? Yeah, so Philip's left us in the last book on possibly the biggest cliffhanger of all time. It's like a, it's not even a cliffhanger, it's a world hanger. She's not stepped (laughs) off a cliff, she's stepped off a world into another world. (laughs) And we don't get to know what happened to Lyra. And I know that so many people, like, if you were reading the books, obviously, as they were being published, you would have had to wait for so long to find out about Lyra. Or even if you're just picking up, it's, I don't know if it's more jarring if you've waited for ages to find out what's happened to Lyra, or if you've just immediately picked up the next book and started it because you're voraciously trying to get through it. And you're like, where's Lyra? <laughs> where's Lyra? <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I remember you texting me. And you're like, how are you getting on with the subtle knife? And I was like, 
yeah, I'm like three pages in and I don't understand. Am I reading the wrong book? (laughs) (laughs) You're not, I promise. But what I do have to say is one of the first things I think, aside from when you pick up the book and you're like, who the fuck is Will? Mm -hmm. Philip does an amazing job of endearing him to you immediately. Oh my God, yeah, you are The first thing you find out about Will is protect Will at all costs. Yeah. He is the purest soul he is like brave he is so protective of his mother he's so understanding and like throughout this chapter it's like a love letter to will and how like how much of a pure beautiful soul he is and it just makes me happy and i'm i just think it's like you open the book and you're outraged that it's not lyra and then immediately you're like i don't care about lyra who's this guy (laughs) fuck lyra who's this child (laughs) that is so wise beyond his years i I need to know more (laughs) totally and I love Will and this, I don't think this is a spoiler, but I'm just going to, I'm going to say it. I, when I first read the books, I, not that it's a competition between Will and Lyra, but I was endeared to Will more than Lyra. Um, I, I don't know. I think I just related to him more. Like you said, he's so precious and he must be protected at all costs. He's such like a loving, kind soul. And not that Lyra isn't, but I, I kind of, I feel like I just related to Will more. Well, I will say that when I read The Northern Lights this time for the podcast, I related to Lyra a lot more than I did on my first read. So I'm wondering and like kind of like interested to see whether my opinion changes, like whether I stick with liking Will or whether, like I said, it's not a competition, but a lot of the times when you've got two characters, you kind of like one more than the other. So I'm wondering how my, if my feelings and thoughts change towards that. But yeah, during this chapter, I was like, yes, Will, this is why I love you. With Lyra, her flaws are so very on the surface. And I wonder if it's just that this initial impression that we get of Will is so great. I'm interested to see if, as we continue, more of his flaws will show. Because I think Lyra's very upfront about what her flaws are. Like, she's not shy about the fact that she can be, like, a little bit ignorant, a little bit selfish, and, like, a bit of a messy... (laughs) Just a little bit of a messy bitch. Totally. (laughs) But, like... We, I think, again, because Philip's working so hard to endear us to this brand new character, we struggle to find many flaws in Will in this like first chapter, I think. I wonder if it's got anything to do with, they were brought up in different worlds, you know what I mean? Like Lyra grew up in that environment with a bunch of men, basically, who felt entitled to do whatever they want. So she learned that from them. And then Will has, we'll, we'll learn more about Will as we go on. Should we get into where where we start? Because where we start is immediately stressful. Yes, yes, it fucking is. From like one emergency situation to another. <laughs> we don't know where Lyra is, but Will is in trouble. And we know that straight, straight from the off. The first picture that we get is, I really love how Philip's in this first few pages kind of weaves in little things, little hints and clues that kind of tell you that Will's world is far more similar to our world than Lyra's is. Definitely. And that he doesn't immediately lay out the situation between Will and his mother, but we kind of get little snippets of information that kind of point it out to us. So Will has his mother by the hand and is taking her to his old piano teacher's house. We don't know what the emergency is, but we know that he feels that they're in danger. And the only person in his life he's close enough to that he feels he can leave his mother with in this situation is a piano teacher who he stopped seeing a year ago, which breaks my heart at how isolated they must be totally yeah it's so sad and i think like you said you you have like these little clues about it being a world 
similar to ours and obviously I think you're alluding to this but like the first one for me was the description of the terrace and the houses and I wonder if because the way that it's described is very British so I wonder if please let us know listeners from other countries if you immediately made that connection as well because obviously neighborhoods in different countries are different but like with me I immediately as soon as I read a little terrace of houses each behind its tiny garden and its box hedge I was like, oh yeah, that sounds like a street in England. Your average like suburban street somewhere. Absolutely. I feel like, again, this is also a picture I had in my head when I was watching the TV series. And that's why I was really surprised at some of the location choices for the TV series because it upgrades Will and his mum's house from what I picture as being very similar to my house growing up, which is like a two up, two down on like a cul-de-sac type road where some of the houses are like council houses or ex-council houses. And some of them are like all relatively new build, like 70s classic privet drive type English mm. cul-de-sac but maybe not as fancy as I was gonna say, drive, yeah, not as fancy. drink Harry Potter <laughs> um, <laughs> but like very very well very Oxford very English like obviously I grew up in the north but a 70s cul-de-sac of council houses looks pretty much the same no matter where you are in the UK and that's a massive part of that yeah the piano teacher is is surprised to see them obviously because Will's basically like my mum needs to stay here or like can my mum stay here and the piano teacher's like, uh, 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 sh- what? <laughs> like, what is going on? As you would. You immediately know from just like little hints and clues that Will is the one that is kind of in control of the situation and desperately trying to be in control of the situation because he is holding his mother's hand. And Mrs. Cooper, the piano teacher, is she's described as like elderly and frail and looking confused and a lot of this stuff. And his mother, I'll read the description of Will's mother. It is it's kind of heartbreaking, just mm-hmm. especially with the description of them, of Will and his mother next to each other. It's makes my heart like swell inside me. So Mrs. Cooper looked at the woman with the untidy hair and the distracted half smile and at the boy with the fierce, unhappy glare in his eyes, the tight set lips, the jutting jaw. And then she saw that Mrs. Parry, Will's mother, had put makeup on one eye but not the other and she hadn't noticed and neither had Will. Something was wrong. And there's like a few more little uh, descriptions of Will's mum but we get little bits like she was clinging to Will's hand. Um, In fact, I'm just going to read that as well. Will looked up and down the road before closing the door and Mrs. Cooper saw how tightly Mrs. Parry was clinging onto her son's hand and how tenderly he guided her into the sitting room where the piano was. And she noticed that Mrs. Parry's clothes smelled slightly musty as if they'd been too long in the washing machine before drying and how similar the two of them looked as they sat on the sofa with the evening sun full on their faces, their broad cheekbones, their wide eyes, their straight black brows. You just got this impression that Will is such a protective character. Do we know how old he is? I think he's maybe 12. 12. Yeah, I think it says 12. We see straight away how much love he has for his mum. And I think that's what endears you to him straight away, right? Mm -hmm. Any character in any book, professing such a love or showing such a love for their parent or guardian or whoever, it just immediately endears you to them. And then when you layer the fact on top of that of his mother's being described as very vulnerable, yeah, that immediately is an extra layer on top of that that endears you to him significantly and piques your curiosity as well. With Again, we're like at the beginning of this book, we don't know who they are, but we know this small fierce boy is clearly looking after his vulnerable mother and we don't know why they're in danger but immediately I think we're already rooting for them. We get more hints here that Will's mum's struggling with her mental health. We hear him say to the piano teacher Mrs Cooper things like it's too difficult to look after her at home right now 
Um, I don't mean she's ill. She's kind of confused and muddled and she gets a bit worried. So we can see here as well that like Will is Will needs to convey this this situation to Mrs. Cooper, but he's also being super careful because he can't do it in a way that will alarm her to then get, maybe get in touch with social services because we learn in this chapter that that is Will's biggest fear, that somebody will take him away from his mum. So it must be so fucking complicated for him in his head to try and word it in a way that like that is like, this is serious, but also... It's not, not that serious. so serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is serious, but I have a handle on it enough that you shouldn't worry about me or the situation, but you do have to help me in this situation. It's, it's a nightmare. And I, especially as his vulnerability as being a 12 year old, is that the authorities or somebody older can just take everything away from him. And he's clearly been working so hard. And further along, we get a bit more of a picture of how long this situation has been in play as well and I think it's just really important to kind of keep remembering how young he is because throughout this chapter I, I, I kind of forget I kind of assume he's like 16 or 17 but he's not he's really young he's the same age as Lyra mm-hmm. it's easy to forget that he's so young because he's like he's so emotionally intelligent and just generally intelligent I think it's just a part a big part of it is the common sense as well like he knows how to cook himself beans on toast and Lyra cannot do that shit <laughs> she's Fucking kind of useless Lyra. without serpents being a thing yeah. that oh my god we'll get into that later because I have many yeah. things to say <laughs> I have many things to say when we get there so yeah it's such a it's a desperate situation but there's a bruise on her cheek which is then reflected the same thing happens to Lyra later in the chapter which is interesting and Will's brought like packets of food and stuff so that like Mrs. Cooper again like trying to make it all okay so that Mrs. Cooper doesn't worry as much as she maybe would and then maybe go to the authorities Will's like he's brought food he's brought everything that his mum might need all that kind of shit there's a bit here as well where Mrs. Cooper's like does she need a doctor and Will's like no and then they mention that they don't have any other family it's just them just the two of them. The way that Will, the desperation and the way that he's like communicating this, it genuinely breaks my heart. Because yeah, when she mentioned social services, Will's like, no, no, she just needs a bit of help. I can't do it anymore for a little while, but I won't be long. I'm going to, I've got things to do, but I'll be back soon and I'll take her home again, I promise. And you just know that he's just, you get the impression that he just needs a short break and that he will come back and he has every intention to come back and he just doesn't have a support system around him, which is very heartbreaking as well yes definitely and then mrs cooper ends up saying yes and uh will says that he's gonna stay with a friend which we can assume is a lie like do we think that that would have happened if things didn't go tits up absolutely not yeah. he would have just stayed home alone yeah he says bye to his mum and that he'll phone her obviously they're both upset and again it's just philip like kind of hammering it in how much they love each other and how close they are and you just have this really strong impression of this fierce little boy, but fiercely loving. And yeah, I, yeah. this whole chapter is just us going to shouting about how great Will is. <laughs> I wonder if he, we've learned that they don't have any friends or family. I wonder if he's ever spent a night away from her. Oh, I wonder. Maybe when he was like much younger. Yeah, but it sounds like they've been on their own for forever. So like, it's obviously difficult. Well, he's made a point of not making friends, right? Yeah. That we find out later. So, yeah, maybe not. Oh, well. I know. So, another description that 
he's left Mrs. Cooper's house and he's going home and we get another description of the little road where Will and his mother live. And again, I was it's just like I was saying, like the cul-de-sac vibe. It's a little loop of road on a modern estate with identical houses of which theirs was by far the shabbiest. And there's like herbs in the garden that his mum planted, but that have died because she's forgotten about them and they've not been watered. And then his cat Moxie comes and says hello. Moxie is my favourite. And one of my notes here is just, yes, Moxie, Will is a cat person. I love that Will is a cat person. I'm a cat person. Um, (laughs) It makes me very happy. (laughs) It's great that there are two cats in this chapter. Love it. There's like three descriptions of Will how will approaches cats in this chapter i'm like i am will i approach all and any cats and love them (laughs) he picks up moxie takes her in the house first things first he feeds her because that is the most important thing to all cats and he talks to her as well which is really cute he says how long will it be before the man came back so this is when we kind of first start getting at him that like this is probably the thing that they're running away from and we get this kind of like they or them with like a capital T of like this mysterious thing or the men with a capital M. They, he's not actually capitalized it, but in my head it's like them. But we'll get that a few times throughout the chapter that really hammers home this like something's happened. Some some horrible men have been in his house and made him and his mom scared. Yeah. Also, um, it says that he's searching for that leather writing case. And then it says that he's like upstairs looking for his mom's drawers and stuff. And then they use the word underclothes, which kind of had the same, caused the same reaction in me as when Lyra was calling everyone dear in Northern Lights. <laughs> I feel like it's such an old word. Wouldn't you just say underwear? Is Philip too fancy to say underwear? <laughs> or is it, is it the time would have said underclothes? I don't know. It's the 90s. I would have said pants. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I just I just said he'd have felt awkward rifling through his mum's pants. Yeah, but, and I understand I that like maybe pants wouldn't fit, but underwear, right? It just didn't. I, it just didn't sit well. I just, I just don't think a twelve-year-old undies, knickers, knickers, anything underclothes. <laughs> underclothes makes me assume it's like um like I don't Victorian think of pa- knickers and like... pants and bras. It makes me yeah think of like a slip or yeah. like an, an undergarment rather than like a full-on clothing item that also yeah. I can't. I can't <laughs> yeah, I, right. I get the impression when somebody say underclothes, it's like a vest that's like joined onto pants as well, like a, a big onesie type thing, but not like Victorian times kind yeah, of. Yeah, like long johns or something, yeah. like Scrooge in his yeah. like nightdress kind of vibe, not knickers and bras. <laughs> like just saying knickers and bras. Maybe that's just Will being like extra embarrassed about it that he can't even think underwear. He thinks under clothes. <laughs> Maybe. I just think it's maybe more of a testament to the language that Philip uses um, and what he was used to using. Oh, bless him. (laughs) Get with the times, Phil. So he can't find this leather writing case. He has some food. Phone rings. Doesn't answer it. It rings 26 times, though, because he counts it. He's so scared that he just sits there waiting for the phone to stop ringing. And whilst I hate a phone call, I... I think it's been a really long time since I've last like let a phone just ring. Mm. Usually, like obviously, I'm just so used to having a mobile phone. But like the idea of like your phone just ringing in your house, we used to have to do it all the time because when I lived back with my parents, my dad runs his own business from home, 
And if we picked up a customer phone call, he'd be annoyed because we'd always forget to take the message down properly. So it was better to just let it go to answer <laughs> machine if we didn't recognize the number. And so we had to like set all the phones in the house to like a less annoying ringtone because we just had to ignore them. But I think that's the last time I've ever let a phone like ring off the hook. Well, remember the time when there were house phones and people didn't use mobiles and people didn't even have phones that would tell you the phone number on it. I remember back in the day, my mum and dad had one that was just like on the receiver that you just picked up. How, right, thinking now, how anxious I get when anyone rings me. I could not imagine how anxious I would get back in the day when you couldn't even see who was ringing you and you had no idea. Just answering the phone to someone that you have no idea who it is. No, thank you. It makes me think of like the Scream movies as well. Yeah. It could be a scary person on the end of the phone. You don't know. So And it, for Will, it could be. It really could be. It's kind of like a horror film. Well, yeah, there's something very, very creepy about a phone just ringing and ringing and ringing and ringing and nobody answering it in a dark room. He eats his beans, he puts them away, he carries on searching until it's like half past one in the morning. He is 12 years old. It's half past one and he's exhausted. So he lays on his bed fully clothed and just falls asleep immediately. Ugh, and his dreams a tense and crowded and his mother's unhappy frightened face was always there just out of reach and that is heartbreaking because he is a child there's a sentence here which i really like and almost at once it seemed though he'd been asleep for nearly three hours he woke up knowing two things simultaneously i just really like how he knows where the case is immediately when he wakes up because that's so true for like me and i'm sure many other people that like you fucking frazzle yourself out doing all this shit and you're like, I need to do this thing and I can't do it. But then if you just leave it, have a little break, go to sleep, you wake up and you're like, oh shit, I know where this thing is now or I know how I want to tackle this problem that I had before I went to sleep. And I just really appreciate that because that happens to me a lot. I appreciate that. But also what happens to me is I'll be like, just about to fall asleep and it'll come to me. And if I don't write it down or like make note of it, then... I'll think to myself, I'll remember that in the morning and then I won't, I won't remember it at all. And whatever my ingenious solution was is completely out of my grasp and it's gone. (laughs) So I'm glad that that's not what happened to Will. But also this is terrifying because the two things he he woke up knowing simultaneously is A, where it was, where the case was, but also B, he knew that the men were downstairs opening the kitchen door. That is a nightmare. That is fucking terrifying. I am a really light sleeper and little noises in the night that are like sudden and wake me up I will lay there absolutely still for like up to like 45 minutes to an hour sometimes just listening to the house trying to work out if the sound is from inside the house or outside the house it's worse since moving to a house because when I was in a block of flats I could just like write it off as being the upstairs neighbors downstairs neighbors side to side neighbors like whatever but in a house you're like it's a little bit more like okay well my everyone else has gone to sleep what is that noise? Is it inside? Is it outside? Is it a fox in the garden? Or could it be somebody like trying to jimmy the back door? Like, or are we haunted? I don't know. (laughs) And I lie there and I get like wound up in my head. And so I feel for Will in this moment because the only thing worse than laying there for hours trying to work out if somebody is in your house is if somebody actually is in your house. (laughs) Yeah, it is terrifying. He gets up and he knows that the men are downstairs and then he lifts Moxie out the way. Bless Moxie. Hi, Moxie. And he goes into the room where he knows now that the leather writing case is and he gets it 
It's in a sewing machine, inside of a sewing machine. It's a handy little compartment that sewing machines have that usually you keep your bobbins and stuff in. You can hide fucking leather writing cases in there. He goes to find it and the men, they're moving around downstairs. There's two things I want to pull out here. One thing is, lol, remember Milkman? Because it meant it mentions a milkman. And I was yeah. like, remember Milkman? My parents still have a milkman. Do they really? I was just yeah, going to say, is it not a lost milkman. profession? What happened to the milk people? <laughs> the milk people. I was trying to be gender neutral, but it just made it sound like they're fucking, like, <laughs> like their own, like, <laughs> like alien species yeah. of milk people. <laughs> part person, part cow. <laughs> oh, God. I feel like a lot of like more countryside places still have them. Maybe I don't know. Or people, I've, I I just assumed that it's like people in London don't have a milkman. But when we moved house from like a block of flats to like a, a cul-de-sac, there's a there's a milk van that sometimes comes round in the summer. I've been woken up by like the the clanging of all the like jingly bottles in the back. And oh my god! Imagine because we've had the window open. I've looked out the window and been like, oh my god, this bloody milkman. Who'd have thought of it? I just can't imagine that living in a block of flats in Peckham. Like, now that you're out in the suburbs, like, you have yeah. a fucking milkman. <laughs> we don't get the milkman, we do. <laughs> what happened to you? <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to call out before we get into the horrificness is there's a typo in my book. <gasps> so, it's just after. So they've heard, the men have said they've heard the milkman, so they need to go upstairs, and then that Will's like shitting himself because they're coming up the stairs. It says, Will braced himself as if he heard the quiet creak of the top step, and then it said, the man was making no noise at all, but he couldn't help the creak if he wasn't expecting it, but it says creak and if are one word. There's no space. Oh, mine doesn't. There we go. That's the difference. There we go. <laughs> First difference of the book <laughs> that we've and noticed. It's a typo. <laughs> That's interesting though, right? I wonder how that happened. Because you would ass- I would assume that with new publications of the book, would you not just do a fucking copy-paste and put a new cover on it? Who knows? Maybe the font's a slightly different size and on yours... I don't know, because it's not like it's on a different line on mine. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so Will is quite rightly shitting himself because this man is now at the top of his fucking stairs and he's in the bedroom and he's like, well, he's going to come into this fucking bedroom that I'm in. What the fuck? He does come into that bedroom... And Will just fucking straight up runs and crashes into his, like, stomach, which is amazing, because I I don't know what I would do in that situation, but Will is definitely at fight rather than, uh, sorry, well, he's fight and fly, I suppose, isn't it? Because, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> he is fighting at the same time that he is flighting. <laughs> yes, fight to flight, flight to fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he's definitely not freeze. This is the thing. <laughs> no, that is my reaction. If I ever hear anything scary, I just, I'm just like, and I don't move for like fucking ages. I'd be like crouching in the corner. No use to anyone. I have no idea what I'd do in that situation. I used to have a golf club that my sister got given by somebody for just in case of zombies. Amazing. And if I was home alone and I got scared of noises, I would go and get the golf club. And then at least I knew I had like a weapon. <laughs> A weapon, a blunt, blunt, blunt weapon with me to attack an intruder. I don't have a golf club here, but I do own a lot of power tools, so I'm sure I'd be fine. You're set, that's fine. <laughs> Will launch this guy, they both go onto the landing, and the guy trips over the car. Moxie is a murderer. Moxie's now. a murderer. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's a great band name. Oh, yeah. Moxie and the Murderers. <laughs> this is our new album, The Cat in the Corner Hornbeam Trees. <laughs> 
I just I love that like her intentions are good as well yeah she's like so struck me yeah the cats she's not there to like assist in manslaughter because it's definitely not murder it's just it's just manslaughter she's just wanting to rub up against someone's leg and get probably some food maybe some behind the ear scratches she thinks it's just if you want your house guarded don't get a cat get a dog because if he had a dog the dog would have barked by now the cat's like do you have tuna for me (laughs) please um and so yeah she goes to rub herself against him and the man trips over her with a sharp gasp he fell backwards down the stairs crashing his head brutally against the hall table will heard a hideous crack and didn't stop to wonder about it he swung himself down the banisters leaping over the man's body that lay twitching and crumpled at the foot of the flight seized the tattered shopping bag from the table and was out of the front door and away before the other man could do more than come out of the living room and stare Okay, so yeah, that is fight and flight. You are correct. I would not have the wherewithal after that happened. Even if I was fight, it would be fight and then freeze because he's on it like a flash. He's like, okay, I've got all my stuff. I've got my go bag ready. I'll grab that bag and I'll be, I'll, I'm gone. Which is, he's 12 years old. I know. I'm just, I'm just going to keep saying it. <laughs> I fucking love how grim that description is of the guy. A crack and he's twitching fucking love that chapter one of the northern lights we get a a, a beheaded head or do we or is, is it chapter two very at the beginning very beginning okay chapter one of northern lights lyra nearly gets her arm broken mm-hmm. chapter two of northern lights she sees a severed head um <laughs> philip likes to start us off gory yeah basically yeah and start us off brutal and i am i'm fine with it you know oh my god me too i fucking love that shit Yes. Within five minutes, we've met someone new. We've become incredibly endeared to and protective of them. And then we've witnessed them accidentally murder somebody and have to run away. And oh my goodness. Yeah, in like three pages. Love it. We love to see it. Will likes it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, likes it past the milkman. Hi, milkman. And then off he goes down the street. So he starts, right, what would you call this? Because I was thinking about what I used to call it as a kid jumping over somebody's garden fence i think we called it head chop- is it head chopping oh i don't know i don't know if we had a term for it i think it's head chopping i potentially used to do it as a child you just like run through like people's back gardens like over the fences and stuff you little rebel i know i wasn't able to do that although the hedges around me were too big for that and also like the houses around you aren't really ever in a straight line it's all very like curly yeah, it's quite higgledy piggledy whereas like m- the streets that i grew up on were like very straight in a line so yeah you just like jumped over we used to sometimes like sneak down because we were on like a loop of road and our house was kind of like a dead end but the loop ended up going down like a little alley slash general that went to like the main road of the village and so we used to sometimes sneak over the hedge like over the wall in my garden and then the people next door have like a fucking huge garden and like loads of trees at one end and you could sneak up the back of the trees and like basically cut off the big loop right right and just get straight to the general to go into the main village and sometimes we used to do that but that's not quite the same that's more like taking a shortcut a slight a slightly trespassy shortcut (laughs) you little badass I think about doing that now and I'm like, I could not climb over dry stone walling and through a bunch of trees right now. Like, no. <laughs> I would never be able to do that now because for the pure fact that you have to go at speed, right? Like, if I climb over a wall now, I have to, like, think about climbing over the wall. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll tackle it this way. But, like, obviously, if you're fucking running through people's gardens, 
you have to just leg it and run over. I would never be able to do that now. Plus, I also don't have the stamina. Confidence, speed, and reckless abandon is yeah. what you need. And I have <laughs> none of those things. <laughs> exactly. Same. Okay, so... Well, he's running away. He's running away. He's running. <laughs> he's thinking about the way that the man's neck was bent so far and in such a way and of the dreadful twitching of his limbs. The man was dead. He'd killed him. And Will knows it in his head. Uh, it's horrifying. It's so gruesome. So gruesome. I love it. I'm sad that Will has had to witness that, but I love the description. He can't get it out of his mind, but he has to. Uh, there's too much to think about. He's thinking about his mum and he's thinking about the cat. Oh, who's going to feed the who's cat? Who's going to feed the cat? Who's going to feed Moxie? Give it to me, I'll cat it. I'll cat, I, if anyone need that, needs their cat, cat for him here. <laughs> and then he says everything was going to plan, really, except that he'd killed someone. Oh, Will. I know. And then we have this brilliant time hop back to learn all about Will's backstory because, you know, we're only on page eight. The shit's already hit the fan. We're well into the deep end and we need to know a bit more about this kid and why we're rooting for him so hard. We learn a little bit more about Will's mum and her struggle with her mental health here. The description, there's quite a few descriptions of her and it sounds like she has definite OCD tendencies. There's a part about Will and his mum in, in the uh, in the supermarket She's definitely paranoid and she's definitely very anxious. And it it's just so sweet, as we've, we've already said it a million times, but it's so sweet and heartbreaking just how much he loves her and how much as well that he must have witnessed as a child. As much as Will's mum is, a, I'm sure, is a, is a good mother, I'm not denying that, but the fact that there is a child growing up in a household with nobody else around as well, he's had to witness a lot on his own and it's tough. It's tough on kids. Um, to have to witness that and be around it and learn learn to be around it and learn to care for that person from a young age and basically not have his own life yeah I think it's it's a really sweet way of describing it and I I was I actually looked up I was trying to I was like I wanted to know about other people's opinions because I'm not super well versed on a lot of stuff to do with mental health and especially portrayals of mental health in the media and in literature like I know a lot of times it can be quite problematic in the way that things are described and quite alienating to people who do have their, their own mental health struggles and etc. I was looking it up and I haven't found anything that says that they hate this description of it. And I do think that whilst Philip is describing Will's mom and her mental health struggles, at no point does he demonize her. And I think that that's really important. And like you get, you know that what while she is having this like paranoid period in the supermarket she's really aware that her child is still a child and she's made it into a game he very well could have stayed aware that it was a game he realized that it wasn't when they got home and he sees the wallet on the on the side table but it's endearing and heartbreaking at the same time that the way that they're both definitely trying to care for each other definitely yeah because it's hard like you said it's it's not only hard for will like i said a minute ago but it's hard for his mum having to raise her son on her own with her struggles as well. That must have been so difficult. And there's a there's a paragraph that I really like. I think I personally think that Philip Holman has written this really well, and I think that he's handled it really well, and I think that it still stands up. Wow, what is it? Twenty five years later, almost. He says. But sometime during the next few months, Will realised slowly and unwillingly that those enemies of his mother's were not in the world out there, but in her mind. That made them no less real, no less frightening and dangerous. It just meant he had to protect her even more carefully. 
And I just think that's so beautiful because it's not denying that these things that are happening to Will's mum, it's not saying that they're not real, which it could have easily gone down that route. It could have easily gone down the route of being like, oh, she's crazy. These things that are happening to her aren't real. But no, it's actually going down the route of saying these things may not be happening on the outside in the physical world, but they're still happening within her head and they're still just as real as anything else happening to you is. And I think it's just handled really beautifully. Yeah, they're just as real for her and they stay just as real for Will, but it changes the way in which he has to approach them and the way in which he is aware of his role with her, which I think is really important. And again, he's realised this at age seven. I think he's, it's a real testament to like how fast kids in those situations do have to grow up. Um, And again, it kind of gives you more of an understanding of perhaps why he's so on the ball with this entire horrific situation he's going through in the pages running up to this is that he's had to be like, he's able, he's, I de- my parents didn't trust me to make food for myself when I was like 12 years old, I don't think. And he's quite happily making himself beans on toast. Yeah. And it, it's, again, it shows his emotional intelligence. He doesn't want to worry his mum or add any more worry to her. Oh, there's the last bit of this paragraph. He loved her so much. He would have died to protect her. Oh, Will, I would die to protect you. He would have died to protect her. And also he just killed to protect her. Yeah. Manslaughter. <laughs> Manslaughtered. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, later on the alethiometer calls him a murderer, and I think that's harsh. Because I do. I, think I don't it's think. Harsh. I think it is just manslaughter. It is definitely. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't intentional. <laughs> that could, could just have been Lyra's interpretation, though. So we've kind of spoken a lot about how Will has had to take on a caring role for his mother, and that kind of brought up for us just thinking about the amount of young people in. I mean. We're looking specifically at the UK, but it is probably applicable across so much of the world. But the stats that I've got are for the UK. As of like a 2011 census, so it's probably gone up since then, there are more than 166,000 young carers aged 5 to 17 in the UK. Five? Mm Mm-hmm. The estimated figure is now 800,000. And on top of this, there are more than 314,000 young adult carers aged 16 to 24 in England and Wales. It's so many, so many kids. And so young carers are defined as people under 18 who help to look after someone who is ill, disabled, misuses drugs or alcohol, or needs, basically needs help. And is somebody in their family, like young carers can be considered as taking on caretaking responsibilities as young as five years old. However, the legal definition of a young carer means that caring roles could start even younger. And despite many being aged under the age of 16, financial support from the carer's allowance from the government is only available when they turn 16. Oh, great. So financial support from the government if you're a young carer is only available when you turn 16. And I think a lot of the fear that comes when you are a young carer is the idea of having your, um, you are the support system for your vulnerable family member. The idea that you would get taken away from them is terrifically scary. Mm -hmm. And so we've kind of compiled a few charities that help young carers and help to support young carers. And not only do they like help financially, help with their own mental health and helping them manage like the stresses that they're personally under, because perhaps the person they're helping to care for cannot help them in that way and be that support system that family members often are. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also helps them financially and also helps give them breaks so they provide like other carers um to kind of come in and look after your vulnerable family members so that some of these kids can do things like 
go on like an outdoor pursuits weekend, mm-hmm. have dates with their friends, have like n- more normal childhood experience or normal in quotation marks, like childhood experiences. Mm-hmm. And so some of those charities are Bernardo's, um, the Children's Society and Carers UK. And then I also wanted to kind of point out towards CAMHS, C-A-M-H-S, which is, um, so CAMHS stands for Child and Adolescent Mental Health Services. And it is kind of like a branch of the NHS in the UK, but it helps to like assess and treat young people with emotional, behavioral and mental health difficulties. And it's also a form of support for like young people that are functioning as carers. They can help get some of the support they need through that services as well. I just think it's really important to talk about. And I didn't even, the, the figures kind of, astonished me a little bit mm-hmm. um I hadn't thought about how many young people are in potentially a very similar situation to Will yeah that we're reading about so yeah if you wanted to look into those charities we'll put links we'll put links in the episode description yes we will after this we learn a bit more about Will's dad because we haven't heard about him yet we learn that he vanished long before Will was able to remember him and that Will was obviously very curious about him. Yeah, Will's dad is called John Parry. He was in the Marines. He became an explorer and went to remote parts of the world. Um, and obviously Will was thrilled to hear about this because who doesn't want an explorer as a dad? Like, if your dad's not going to be around, that's one of the coolest things that he could be, right? Mm-hmm. Is it really bad that it's only on this specific read-through while I'm thinking about podcast stuff that I realised that both Will and Lyra's dads are explorers. No, because I had not made that connection either. (laughs) Okay, good. So I was literally, I was reading about him like running through like the jungle and like pretending all this stuff. And it just made me think of Lyra thinking about Lord Asriel, desperate to go to the North, how much she admired him for being an explorer. And I just had never made that connection before. And I don't know why, but like... Just the fact that, like, both of their, like, father figures, because, like, obviously Lyra didn't know Asriel was her dad for a majority of the time. She was imagining, like, going to the north and exploring with him. But, like, yeah, both both their dads are explorer men. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm sure that was definitely done on purpose, but then I just did not pick up on it when I read yeah, it. Yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah. Will obviously wonders about his dad. It's just natural to, to do that when your dad's not around. But he did also start to wonder about why there's no pictures of his dad. I think, yeah, it's interesting. We get this from through the description as Will's growing up not knowing his dad. It goes from he's really curious. His dad becomes this like imaginary friend that he has almost where he's pretending to know his dad. And then as he asks, like he kind of starts to doubt some of the questions, some of the answers his mom's been giving him because he can't find the evidence for it. But then the sentence that she says, the thing that she says that kind of like solidifies for him how he feels about his father is um, the one day you'll follow in your father's footsteps. You're going to be a great man too. You'll take up his mantle. Mm -hmm. And that even though he didn't really know what that meant and he doesn't know that much about his father, he kind of like that buoyed him. Is that a word? Like it buoyed him. (laughs) It it kind of gave him hope. It gave him something to hang on to of like, yeah, okay, maybe all the things that I know about my dad, I don't have evidence for them, but she's super confident that I'm a good man. I will take up his mantle. I will follow in his footsteps and like, and kind of sets this goal to find his dad, which I feel again, is like, is a very Lyra moment. It's a very, it's a moment when they very much cross over. Like he kind of, 
she's grown up with these lost, lofty goals of going north and finding Asriel and exploring with him. And he's solidified in his head, I will find my dad. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, this next bit as well, we kind of go back into talking about Will's mom and her struggle. And the one thing that I wanted to just bring out about this section here is that I think that it's quite... I wonder if it had been written differently today. I think it's quite startling that it seems like his mum has never seen a doctor for her issues and they've never told anyone. Obviously, we went through that earlier about social services, etc. And I understand. But I wonder if Philip Pullman had written this now, it would have been more responsible for him to have had uh, her seek help. Nowadays, to have somebody struggling with their mental health so much and then not seeking help for it, I think that, although I, I really like how Philip has written about her struggle, I think this bit could have just been a little bit more responsible. Absolutely. It's almost celebrating slash supporting the fact that they're have they're keeping her illness, he describes it as illness in this passage, secret. Yeah. And that it's really important to them to not get found out because actually if they were found out, the system might not have separated them so much as supported them yeah. if they'd have gone through the right channels. And found the right support network. Yeah. And I understand, like, I understand the the sentiment of not wanting to uh, alert anyone to their issues because of the fear there. But I just think, yeah, if it had been written today, maybe it would have been written in a bit more of a responsible way. Mm-hmm. It breaks my heart as well that um, it says, like, because they're, uh, it, the thing that makes it worth all of his, like, hard work and all of his kind of sacrifices of his childhood to look after his mum is worth it for the moments when she is fully lucid Mm -hmm. and she's so clear and calm and full of love and sweetness and he could think of no better companion and wanted nothing more than to live with her alone forever and that it breaks my heart quite a lot i know it's so sweet and then (laughs) the next line is but then the men came i was like don't they always and they always ruin everything don't they fucking always (sighs) Because don't you know all feminists hate all men? That's the thing, right? (laughs) Yeah. I just don't... We're not a man-hating podcast. But equally, the men came and they ruined everything. Exactly, right? (laughs) And we're just just reading back to you what is in the book. Exactly. So they weren't police, they weren't social services, they weren't criminals, at least as far as Will could judge. And then I said, well, they fucking are, because they've broken into your house. (laughs) Yeah, I guess he means more like organised crime, right? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, aren't we all criminals? I mean, I just told you my very criminal story of head shopping. Yeah. <laughs> so they're looking for his dad, right? That's what we learn now. They're looking for his dad or they're looking for information about his dad. Uh, and they're basically willing to do whatever they need to try and get it. We know that. We've seen them break into the house. There were times when they'd come in and spoken to his mum and then Will's had to interrupt and say, get the fuck out, basically. Basically, his mother was being harassed. Yeah. And it's unacceptable. Mm-hmm that he had to deal with that and that his mum had to deal with that. And he kind of, something clicks, I think, for Will, that whilst his mother is struggling with her mental health and has, and a big part of that is paranoia, and a big part of dealing with that paranoia is some obsessive compulsive tendencies Mm -hmm. that help her to manage that paranoia. But he's found out that some of that paranoia, we don't know how, how far back these interactions with these men goes, but definitely in her most recent spate of struggling with her mental health, it has been triggered by men harassing her. Yeah. Strangers harassing her, which 
must be absolutely terrifying, not especially for Will as well, not being sure what has been his mum's in his mum's head and the like mm-hmm. personal things that she's dealing with and then also what's real life because there is actually a threat existing that is not just perceived. Yeah, there's a physical there's a physical danger present, not just a danger to like Will's mum because of her, uh, her mental illness, but actually a physical danger to both of them because there's fucking men breaking into the house. Yeah. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So his solution to the scary men that are harassing his mum is Mrs. Cooper. And we know how that ended. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, the lovely old piano lady took in his mum and Will thought he had a handle on it. And then he killed someone. Yeah. On accident. And so the police will be after him too. So now, now he's on the run. Yeah. He's kind of determined to protect his mum no matter what. And I think Will is really good at hiding and really good at playing, not playing truant, but playing subtle places to hide because I wouldn't know where to hide and he is really clever and he hitchhikes that's not so clever don't hitchhike (laughs) kids but he gets like a bunch of buses and then he decides to go to the sit he eats at Burger King which also little nod to Burger King and very much seats it in our world right it probably made me lol because I was like I like I'm reading his dark materials book and it's mentioned in Burger King I was like Burger King (laughs) (laughs) okay Uh, but then he goes to the cinema which I think is great like I hadn't even thought about like hiding in the cinema as a way of hiding brilliant I have not hidden in a cinema but I've done twice Uh, once I went to the cinema on my 21st birthday I was horrifically hungover in Nottingham and we were waiting to go to a gig and we didn't have anything to do it was Johnny was there it was me Liam and Johnny we were like if we go to the cinema we can go to sleep (laughs) <laughs> we did not sleep we watched silent hill 2 i think it was and oh, then well that's not a film to sleep during i know it's true and then once i was in san francisco and we'd landed at like 8 a.m and our hostel room wasn't ready until like 2 p.m so it was like we'll go to the cinema and we'll sleep and i remember being the ang- one of the angriest times i've ever been at liam because we went into the cinema to sleep and we saw the to-do list with aubrey plaza which is actually a pretty good film and I fell asleep and I don't really fall asleep in situations that where there's noise. So I was really happy that I'd fallen asleep. And Liam was like, ha ha, you're asleep. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> I was asleep. I'm not anymore. I was fucking Brilliant. fuming. Anyway, Will's hiding in the cinema. Great place to hide. We love to see it. But then because he's so good at looking after his mom and being unnoticeable, he's really aware of like how to now hide. I feel like it's yep. prepared him for this. Definitely. And he is like, the longer I'm a child and I am aware that I am a young person mm-hmm. and the later I am out on the streets, the more noticeable I become. So yep. he's like, I need to find somewhere to be, which I just think is, he's just so on it. He's I love so it. clever. He is. And he comes to rest somewhere on the outskirts of Oxford near the Ring Road. I I think it's quite an American thing when you see streets that are lined with like loads of little trees planted at really even distances, like really long straight roads. It's not something that you really see that much in England, at least. And yeah, that's very much like the image that kind of is conjured here with the hornbeam trees, the eponymous hornbeam trees. (laughs) Will kind of comes to rest near a tree trying to work out what he's going to do. And then he sees a cat and because he's a cat person like me, he obviously has to go and try to befriend the cat because only good things happen when you try to befriend stray street cats, kids. Uh, (laughs) I mean, okay then. 
I mean, maybe not, but like, that's how I feel. And tell that to my mum who got scratched down her face when she tried to befriend a stray cat and now, oh, hates, no. and now hates cats forever. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, that's really sad. I, I, yeah, I'm really annoying. And whenever we pass this cat in the street, I will stop and try to befriend the cat to the point where I will like miss a bus <laughs> if I have to. If that cat is going to be my friend, I will miss that bus. <laughs> so I really appreciate Will for befriending this cat. And I enjoy that the cat, whilst it accepts, it accept, gracefully accepts some scratches, mm-hmm. but this cat has things to do. It has territory to patrol, patrol cat. <laughs> uh, it has mice to hunt and she wanders off. I have a theory that cats are definitely the witchiest animal. Oh, totally. Um, my cat growing up could definitely see ghosts. Amazing. He also may have had some like slight, like, cat mental health struggles of his own oh, because no. he would regularly attack his own tail but oh. maybe it was the ghost because maybe. he would also just like stare at a corner and get really 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 angry and then like attack there maybe the ghost was playing with his tail maybe it was it it got to be quite scary when i was home alone and the cat would just yeah. start attacking nothing um but this cat also sees nothing mm-hmm. and starts like attacking it and it's great <laughs> i'm really here for like the cat playing oh, with the window it. cute yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's cute. So this cat vanishes. It's playing with something and then it's gone. Where the fuck has it gone? Will's like, what the fuck? Let me go and investigate this shit. Why would you not? Brilliant. Yeah. I will read the description of what he sees where the cat. I love it. When it had gone past, he crossed the road, keeping his eyes on the spot where the cat had been investigating. It wasn't easy because there was nothing to fix on, but when he came to the place and cast about to look closely, he saw it. At least he saw it from some angles. It looked as if someone had cut a patch out of the air, about two metres from the edge of the road, a patch roughly square in shape and less than a metre across. If you were level with the patch... Uh, sorry. If you were level with the patch so that it was edge on, it was nearly invisible, and it was completely invisible from behind. You could only see it from the side nearest the road, and you couldn't see it easily even from there, because all you could see through it was exactly the same kind of thing that lay in front of it on this side, a patch of grass, lit by a street light. But Will knew without the slightest doubt that the patch of grass on the other side was in a different world. Yeah. Oh boy. I love it. The next bit says he knew he knew it at once, as strongly as he knew that knew that fire burned and that kindness was good. Mm-hmm. And that really annoyed me because there's a I can't find it. There's a bloody <laughs> bit in in the Northern Lights where Lyra is as certain of something as she mm. knows that something is bad and something is good. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember, and if anyone can remember what that quote, please, please tell me. Because I've like scanned all my notes. And I've scanned Ooh. the book yeah. and I can't pick it out. It just really like Lyra was as, as of certain of this as she knew that like nausea felt bad and mm. something else felt good or like unkindness, gentleness was or something like that. And it's going to piss me off if I can't find it. So please help me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Send me that quote and it, tell me where it lives. <laughs> <laughs> it rings a bell. It definitely does. What's really funny about this is that Will just goes fucking straight through it. He's straight in yes. there. Yes. Like. <laughs> Wouldn't you, I'd be like shitting myself and also it makes me feel really claustrophobic because it says that the window is only like does it say maybe less it says less than a meter across mm-hmm. so like you like think of how like tall you are as an adult like you have to like crawl through that shit 
And I just don't know, like, I don't like small spaces. And I know that it's only a split second that you're like in it. But Yeah, um, at least he like throws the carrier bag through first so that he knows he's not going to like disintegrate on the other side or something. Yeah, but still, he's fucking brave. I genuinely think the calmness with which he reacts to this entire situation is entirely a state of shock. Mm. He's, I think whilst he's been really good at like being on the run, um, I think he's still in shock from having killed somebody and having to had go, go through that trauma of like leaving his mom behind, k- accidentally killing somebody and then realizing that he has to leave his mom behind for longer than he thought. Yeah. Um, I think he's still maybe like a little bit numb to everything. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense to me. The next few pages are all descriptions of my dream holiday destination. Oh my God. <laughs> I was literally going to say the same thing. Like, And it makes it so much more difficult, doesn't it? Knowing that we're in the middle of a pandemic and you can't really go on holiday. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, I was reading them and I was like, I just want to be there. Oh. Especially the bit where you go swimming. Oh my God. Oh my God. I want to be near the water so bad and I want to go swimming so bad. And I'm like, oh my God. I feel like Philip Pullman knew that I was going to be rereading this book in 2020 and he did it on purpose. He was like, I'm going to fuck with her. It's literally like half the chapter is just descriptions of a gorgeous little seaside, like Mediterranean seaside town with like amazing like hanging flowers and just everything. So like all you need to know really is that it's fucking beautiful and it's completely empty. Also a dream. Yeah. (laughs) I I hate other people. Take me to like an amazing like in the evening when it's cool enough that you're not boiling hot as well because I don't do well in the heat oh my god take me there Mm. empty like just like leftover risotto for you to eat on the side (laughs) (laughs) I'm here for it he's wandering around this town it's beautiful Mm -hmm. it's empty and I love it it's all these beautiful descriptions the kind of place like I'm imagining like somewhere in like yeah like Spain or yeah or maybe the south of France, or like anywhere that you may have been on, like a like a little ho- like a little holiday town. Yeah, it's just perfect. And then all juxtaposed with like it was empty. Mm-hmm. There was no one there. There's bread going stale on a table, so you yep. know it's been empty for long enough for bread to go stale. And there's like cigarettes burnt down and things like that. Yeah, so it's like beautiful, beautiful, calm, blissful, peaceful. A little bit sinister. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful, calm, bliss. And like, Philip's done a really good, like, it's the ratio of like, beautiful holiday descriptions, please take me there immediately, totally. to something's wrong here. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's perfect. Totally. It just leaves you like that a little bit on edge. Also, notice that the symbols in the top corners of your book have changed. I love it. From a little hornbeam tree to a little knife. Yeah. So keep that in mind, lock that away in your brain. Does everybody's books have the symbols? Because that would be interesting to know. Yeah. And I love it. I love the symbol system. Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I wanted to, because we don't want to go into too much detail about the description of where we are, because we're just too sad to go into that much detail because we wish we were there. But one thing that I will say that I, I thought about was he takes lemonade out of that cafe and he drops a pound into the till, which reminded me of, did you ever watch Bernard's Watch when you were a kid? Yes, I loved it. <laughs> so Bernard's Watch was a TV show, a kid's TV show. It was on ITV, I'm pretty sure, uh, CITV. Yeah. And it was about a kid called Bernard who had a watch, go figure, and he <laughs> pressed it, the little watch. It's like an old-fashioned pocket, pocket watch. Yeah, and he yeah. pressed it and time stopped. And every time he went to a shop, when he'd 
press this stopwatch. He took something out or bought a magazine or whatever. He'd always leave the money behind. And I was I always thought to myself, you... because he's a good boy. You little goody fucking two-shoes. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, if that was me as a teenager, there's no fucking way I'd be leaving that money behind. But now, yeah. as an adult, I definitely would. Like, as an adult, like, I worry more about like, oh, like, I wouldn't want to steal from anyone. Like, I want to make sure that whoever owns this little quaint shop gets some money. I want to support this small business. Exactly. (laughs) I want to support the small business. But when I was a shitty teenager, I didn't think that at all. And I'd be like, yeah, fuck off. I've I've got this shit. But anyway, I just wanted to draw that comparison there. I love that he pauses when he pops the pound in the till and opens the till again and checks it. Because he's like, oh, maybe the money will tell me where I am. And the money's called Corona. Well, again, right? This I told you, Philip Pullman, he wrote this. He knew. He knew. He knew Thanks, we were going to be reading it. And he was just like, I'll pop that in as a little fucking slide egg. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. <laughs> Appreciate Cheers. it. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Right. We've, we've said, we've described it. He's walking around. He goes for a little swim. He looks in a few places for food and he can't find any food. Or he goes into a hotel and it feels too big, so he comes back out. So he goes back round. I he think. puts his empty lemonade bottle in the nearest rubbish bin. He's so conscientious. <laughs> <laughs> he is. And he finds a little cafe that looks kind of inviting, that he's kind of like, has a, has a draw to. He goes in. He goes up the stairs. Because he's like, I need to like eat and I need to rest and all that shit. And so there's like a little apartment above the cafe. And he is standing near the door and he gets like a sense that there's somebody else there who and then philip points out his own irony (laughs) yeah exactly yeah so he's like shit this has already happened to me once today (laughs) like yeah um (laughs) so he's standing at the door like kind of wondering what to do and then suddenly the door burst open and something comes hailing at him like a wild beast. And I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love that Philip just points out. He's like, hey, look at this thing that I did of like somebody waiting behind a door and Will crashing into them. And then now Will's waiting behind a door and someone else is going to crash into him. Look at what I did. And he points it out and it's like, stop patting yourself on the back, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> we get it. You love it. <laughs> but also we don't care because it's Lyra. Yay! Oh my God. I'm so fucking happy to see Lyra and oh it's so great yay and they have a fight basically yeah they have a fight she these descriptions of Lyra are really great it takes us kind of back to those first descriptions that we got of her in the beginning of Northern Lights like it kind of it says that she crouches in a corner of the dark landing like a cat at bay um and it describes Pan a large wildcat as tall as uh, Will's knees, uh, fur on end, teeth bared, tail erect. And it's just like that classic vision of Lyra, right? Mm-hmm. And she's here, yeah. But also, we're about to find out that Lyra's been here for like three days and she's not had a bath. Yeah, she fucking stinks. Like, oh no, she did. Why? She had a bath. <laughs> so I, I, was, I forgot that she had a bath at Asriel's and I was thinking that fucking hell, think about long before that it's bath. Been so- <laughs> Maybe Bullfanger? Yeah. Before that? Maybe. Yeah. No, ridiculous. No. Like, why is, if she's been there that long, why has she not, had, like, sorted herself out a little bath and gone and, like, nick some clothes from somewhere well, or something? We learned that. So she, also, like, isn't she wearing furs? Yeah. It doesn't really describe what she's wearing at all, does it, actually, in this chapter? Yeah. But, like, we. It says that her clothes are raggedy, but mm, that's it. Like, we kind of learned that Lyra doesn't really know how to look after herself at all. And 
it's so interesting. Like, I'm just going to get into it now. But with <laughs> my initial reaction was is like when Will is like, uh, clean, like help me, like clean the, uh, sorry, like clean the dishes, whatever. Uh, I'm going to make this food. And she's like, oh, servants cook in my world. And like, I'm not going to do the dishes because that's a servant's job. Get a fucking grip, Lyra. Like, Love it. uh, It just just makes me think it's such a great thing to do because we've had this full book with Lyra and now we're starting this new book. And we think we know Lyra and we do know Lyra, but we haven't had all perspectives of Lyra. And this new person is meeting her from a new world and he is very together, knows what to do. And Lyra's just like, I'm not doing that because servants do it. Or like, she doesn't know how to open cans and all that kind of stuff. And it's so fucking great to get a new perspective on a character that you know so well already. And I just fucking love it. And from a character that's perspective is so much closer to our own as well. Like Will's world is so much more similar to our world. Like it, it just is like, there's Burger King for God's sake. Like, (laughs) (laughs) And that, I just think it's perfect being like, oh, you thought you knew Lyra. Well, here's this kid that's really independent and lives in the modern world. And like, let's compare him to Lyra. (laughs) Turns out you don't like Lyra's actually shitter than you thought. And I love it. I love it too. So way back to the beginning, Mm -hmm. he asks who she is. She says she's Lyra Silvertongue because yes, that's her goddamn name that Yorick Burnison gave to her. And we love it. (laughs) I kind of love that the way they describe the worlds. Um, So he's like, oh, where are you from? And she's like, oh, not, she's not from here. Where is she from? She's from her world. It's joined on. Yeah. I don't know why I like joined on so <laughs> much, but I really on. do. And like Will says it later when she's like, where are you from? And he's like, oh, also a different world. I guess it's also joined on. Yeah. And I just, I just, I don't know why. It's, it's just a really sweet way of saying it. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's cute. It's quite, it's quite childlike, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So one of my other favorite bits about this chapter is the conversation that they have about demons. Um, you know me, I love a conversation about demons. Lyra asks Will where his demon is. Then Will is like, obviously shell-shocked because he sees Pan change from one form to another. And he's like, what in the fuck is happening? And then Will says, I haven't got a demon. I don't know what you mean. Oh, is that your demon? And demon is spelled in the way that we would spell demon. And I yeah. fucking love it. He says like, a oh, demon means something different in my world. It means something evil. Um, And then... We get, uh, a, we get a bit further a conversation about we know that Lyra's been there for a couple of days, all that kind of stuff that we've already said. There's a bit later on where, and I really fucking love this bit, and I think I, I said it in our conversation with Kristen, but where Lyra kind of says to Will, like, oh, like, you don't have a demon, but your demon must be inside you because I've seen what happens to kids when they're separated from their demons, and I know how horrific that is, and you are not in that state, so your demon must be inside you. And I think... It's probably one, I know that Philip Pullman has done so many clever things within these books, but for me personally, one of the cleverest things that he's done in these books and one of the things that's closest to my heart is that we are reading Will as if he lives in a world very similar to ours, as if he lives in our world. That means that we all have demons within us. Our demons are within us. And I just think it's so fucking lovely and such a nice touch to add that into this book so that we as the reader can be like, yes, I have a demon and it's inside of me and we can all feel closer to Lyra and her world and it's so great. And then equally later in the chapter when Will is looking at Lyra and her demon and he feels for a moment profoundly lonely. I also really relate to that because I wish my demon was on the outside too. And like, I think it's 
so relatable it's so relatable i'm really here for it no me too it is so then we get this bit if we skip back a bit we get the bit that we talked about where like lyra doesn't have a fucking clue about how to make an omelette she can't open a can of beans she can't do anything but it's really cute when she didn't realize the fridge existed because they don't have them in her world which is adorable and it's this combination of like ferocity and childlike wonder that will recognize it's later on in the chapter and she, he like gives her a can of Coke and she doesn't know what to do with it. She just holds it in her hands and enjoys how cool it feels, yeah. which I think is adorable. And then he opens it for her and she's just like, and when she tries to drink it, she gets bubbles up her nose and like snorts and burps and then like looks really angry at him as if it's his fault that he's embarrassed her by that. making her burp. And it's so Lyra as well, like the, a little yeah. scowl from her. Love it. And like when he's like, oh, I'll make an omelette. She's like, I don't know what omelette is. And he's like, what about baked beans? I don't know baked beans. And you just get the impression that she's in her, if we were taking a step inside Lyra's head, I think she'd be like, who's this guy that thinks he knows more than me? What's an omelette? What's baked beans? Totally, totally. And there's, um, they have a conversation about the food and like she watches him make it. And when she watches him make it, she says, or it says, her eyes followed everything greedily, watching him pull the eggs up into soft ridges in the centre as they cooked and tilt the pan to let raw egg flow into the space, which I actually just really liked as a description of how to make an omelette. I've realised I've been making omelettes wrong this whole time. Oh, right? <laughs> she watched him too, looked at his face and his working hands and his bare shoulders and his feet. And the the kind of intimacy of that description and the way that it's very focused on Will's body parts, it kind of, in my mind, alludes to the fact that she might have a crush. Maybe. It also alludes to me to the fact that he's not put his fucking shirt back on. (laughs) (laughs) Totally right. It already upset me when he put his jeans on when he was still a little bit damp after getting out of the sea because there's nothing worse than getting out of the sea and, like, putting clothes on when your body's still down oh, but he's probably sandy and it's disgusting and i'm not here for it and but om- also <laughs> just cooking an omelette shirtless right cooking an omelette shirtless <laughs> are you not scared of the oil the oil's gonna get you it's gonna get yeah, you yeah that butter's gonna spit at you and you're gonna end up with like those tiny little burns <laughs> just little drips oh god but also lyra and pan when will's back is turned just start dipping their grubby hands into the egg mix oh fucking disgusting like that meme of that little boy (laughs) can't get his hands out of the mixing bowl i'm so mad about that you'd have to fucking throw it all away because and and like pan's a cat and he's trying to dip his paws in it i don't want to get fur in my mouth when i'm trying to eat an omelette thank you very much and it just hearkened me back to in the first book when philip describes lyra as a little savage yeah and like all of these descriptions of her as being like um wild and untamed and it's just like yeah she can't even wait for a fucking omelette she's got a stick of hands in it like get your grubby hands out of my omelette <laughs> it's so fucking disgusting i would like you just have to throw it all away like uh, gross gross mm-hmm. um there's a description where it says, she seemed quite willing to take orders if she saw the sense of them. So he told her to go and clear a table in front of the cafe. And I actually quite like that description for Lyra because I think that's very her. I think she is willing to kind of, she's very, she can be very insolent and very stubborn. But I think if she, if she sees the sense in something and somebody tells her to do something, then she will do it. Also, I imagine she's just watched this person do a bunch of stuff she can't do. Yeah. And is 
he's asked like asked her this is what you can do please do this I can see her being like okay that's something I can do I will I will help with this because Mm -hmm. I it's my way of like showing reference to the fact that I'm about to eat the food that you've made so the least I can do is set the table I guess I'll accept that order I don't love the term order but like whatever um I also think it shows a great deal of patience on Will's part Mm -hmm. that he didn't smack her hand out of the bowl when she was trying to get the omelette. And like, I do think a lot of his like ability to accept somebody else's very, very different point of view mm-hmm. and be very patient of somebody totally. comes from that. Um, and there's a little bit when they're having a little conversation here where he refers to speaking to her as being like approaching a new cat. Mm. And like when you're like just very tentatively being quite still and not being the aggressor in a situation in order to scare the cat away and you're waiting for the cat to gain confidence with you enough that it will put its head against your hand. (laughs) And I just, I'm really, really here for that description because we've seen him being really nice to his pet cat. We've seen him befriending a strange cat and that strange cat led him into a new world. And then Lyra's been described like a wild cat and we know that he's really good with cats and he is thinking about how being around her and being um sensitive to her wildness and the fact that she could be quite skittish is like approaching a stray cat it just it melts me there's a lot of cat themes in this chapter i love cats (laughs) (laughs) that's all i have to say about that (laughs) they have a conversation while they're eating we mentioned obviously the bit about uh demons but lyra also mentions dust and again, like when Will says dust, it doesn't have a capital D, which obviously I really enjoy. We kind of learn that she wants to find some scholars somewhere to ask about dust. And Will kind of says, like, I'm from Oxford and the scholars in Oxford. And then Lyra's like, what the fuck? I'm from Oxford as well. Yeah. And we, we like, yeah, that's when we kind of realized, I suppose, we put two and two together, really, that there's these two Wills. Well, three worlds, I suppose, if you count in the world they're in now. But there's these two worlds where there's an Oxford in each one of them, which is very interesting. Yeah, I really like it. And I like that. Um, I'd love it if Lyra was like, we have a Burger King too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> except for he is the king of the burgers. <laughs> I want to be the king of the burgers. No, it's really sweet. And I think um, just to point out, because we mentioned it earlier in the chapter, the entire time they're sitting and having this omelette, he's kind of hyper aware that they had a scrap. And yeah. she sat there with this bruise on her cheek that kind of mirrors the bruise on the cheek that his mom has mm-hmm. earlier in the chapter. And I just, I, it makes you wonder, like, perhaps what made Will snap and run away is, like, did he end up getting into, like, maybe a small physical altercation with his mother? Is that how she got the bruise on her cheek? Oh, yeah. Is that kind of triggering some guilt in him we don't like we don't know any of that backstory Mm. but it makes you wonder the fact that he's focused on that bruise yeah um and that that bruise on her cheek was mentioned earlier yeah and will's also aware all the time of like pan changing and how crazy that is for him to see a yeah and he's just like Again, I think he's in shock because he's in a new world and he's seeing like an animal like change shape in front of him and this like random little girl that's muddy as hell. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if he's just reached his threshold. Mm. He's maybe in a bit of shock and a bit numb and he's just reached his threshold on like weird stuff that can happen today. Like he's already killed somebody. Yeah. He's already run away from home. Like he's already in a new world. Like how, how different is it going to get? I think he's just like rolling with the punches, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So Lyra wants to see... 
how Will got into the world. Uh, she wants to see the window and he says he'll show her in the morning because he's tired, uh, but she'll have to find the scholars by herself. So she's her plan really then is to go through into the other Oxford and find some scholars. And then this is a bit with a dishwasher in which I won't go into again, but fucking lol, get a grip, Lyra, wash the dishes. I love it. It's so sweet though. Like, And then when she does wash the dishes, she tries so hard. <laughs> Because she respects him now. <laughs> so it says that she waits until she he uh, she was sure that he's asleep. Do you think that's because she's so fucking stubborn that she doesn't want him to see that she's washing the dishes? <laughs> I think so, and I find that really endearing. It, yeah, me too. Because she she's still our Lyra. She's still our Lyra, and I think it's also really obvious that the two of them have some kind of connection from the off. Mm. For the fact the fact that Lyra's even really giving him the time of day kind of makes me think that. Uh, she obviously sees something in him that interests her because when he goes to bed, she just fucking creepily creeps into his room with the alethiometer. Such a creeper. So fucking creepy. Because she could, it's so fucking funny because like she could have asked that question out of the room, but like <laughs> she decides to go in the room to look at him while she asks the question. <laughs> it's perfect. I also, it, again, it just kind of speaks to Will's character as well. Just the fact that she's like why would i wash the dishes there's millions lying around and he's like no this is somebody's home yeah that we are staying in and okay neither of them mentioned how weird it is that there's nobody around which is weird in itself oh, yeah. um but he's like i don't know how long we're gonna have to stay here but while we do okay we'll eat the food because we have to eat but we'll tidy up afterwards yeah. i will put my pound coin in the till like we will treat it right and I just think that's really sweet. And it's there's a description of him later as being savage and courteous and unhappy. Oh. And I think the courteous is a really big part of that, mm. of like the like looking after the space you're in because you're aware it's not your own and you're just borrowing it. Yeah. I think that's really important and it kind of really speaks to him and his awareness of the value of like keeping someone's space. Yeah. God, I and think, respecting it. I think I know who we're both going to give our award to this time. <laughs> How do you? <laughs> Although you might have gone for one of the cats. I'm fully aware of that. So Lyra asks the alethiometer, what is he, a friend or an enemy? And the, Ale- the alethiometer says, he is a murderer. Thanks, alethiometer. Mm. Please differentiate between murder and manslaughter next time. <laughs> yes. Also, I like this a lot. When she saw the answer, she relaxed at once. He could find food and show her how to reach Oxford, and those were powers that were useful, but he might still have been untrustworthy or cowardly. A murderer was a worthy companion. She felt as safe with him as she'd done with Yorick Bernison, the armoured bear. Um, but also brilliant, of course. Like It's like the end of the chapter is like, okay, so you spent most of the chapter with someone else. Let's go back with Lyra. And then Lyra is still the most Lyra a Lyra could be because mm-hmm. that is some weird Lyra logic. <laughs> I love it. I It kind of shows how eventful and colourful her short life so far has been that she sees murderer and thinks, great. And I think it goes back to her wanting protection, right? And wanting to feel safe. Like, she hasn't had that all her life. Like, obviously she has been protected by uh, Jordan College and that kind of system, but she hasn't had those, like, parents, those parental figures to give her that safeness. And I don't think that she was necessarily aware of how safe she was being kept by the college. So I think that she has formed a, such a bond with Yorick that she's like, hell yeah, murderer, they'll protect me. Done. Yeah. 
is some weird old Lyra logic there at the same time. Oh, it's, it totally is. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. But yeah, I love it. I love that, that she has that reaction. Yeah. What a first chapter. I know, that's the end of the chapter. And we're only like nearly two hours in. Oh my God. The super long chapters throughout. This book is the same thickness as the first book but has six less chapters or so you know it's funny you keep saying that the book is the same or bigger but it's really it's it's i think it's smaller let's compare this the first book is 399 pages Mm -hmm. the second book is 341 pages okay it's only a 50 page difference it's not that much it's not too big it's not that much but i think as well like first chapters in any book are difficult to get through because you're learning so much You've got so many new characters, especially in this case with Will. It's like we're just been thrown completely thrown out of a world that we knew. Um, and I think that it will like calm down as we go through and we'll get into it more. Um That's hilarious that you think that that's what's gonna happen. No, but I mean like <laughs> I just I know what you mean. We'll get more used to podcasting, but I'll be like, so the first chapter of the book, that's always the most intense chapter. It'll only get calmer from it. <laughs> I didn't mean like content-wise. I meant like you're getting to know the worlds and the people in it. Like once you've got into the groove, it's better. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not going to calm down. Well, it's great. I really love it as the first chapter of the book. I think it's really bold to pull you completely away from the, the character you spent the entirety of book one with and put you with a new character and so quickly endear you to that character. Mm-hmm. And then throw that character back in with the original character that you had already grown to know and love like I think it's really clever yeah and I think it's really well done yeah I really want to go to this mystery mystery place through this window oh I want to be there desperately want to be in a deserted warm seaside town where I can go swimming in the sea and like can I just be will (laughs) in this scene can somebody please like open a window in my garden oh. and i'll like go through and i'll just be in this like brand new world yes please and exist and it would be great i would fucking love that Ugh. oh anyway do you have an award to give out it's obviously to moxie moxie the murderer <laughs> Moxie and the Murderers. Moxie, Moxie and the Murderers. And then like an honorary mention to the Hornbeam Tree Cat because we don't know that cat's name, but I love that cat. Oh, I knew- An honorary mention to all cats everywhere who <laughs> see ghosts and cats are great. And oh. that's all I have to say about that. Oh, <laughs> mine is obviously for Will. I fucking love Will so much. Mm-hmm. I just want to give him a cuddle and protect him. Yeah. I have a lot of those feelings and I definitely feel that for Lyra. There's, I totally didn't mention it, but there's a description of her as being weary and sad. Oh, yeah. Very young and very weary and sad. And I just want to wrap her up and protect her because she, her loss is so fresh Mm. and she must be grieving. And then also in this really strange situation and I desperately want to protect the both of them. Um, She's, so let's see how that them. goes. Yeah, they've both <laughs> been through a lot. Bless their little hearts. What's the next chapter called? Oh my god, the next chapter is Among the Witches. Oh, oh my god, I'm so excited. And at the top corner of this chapter, there's a little alethiometer. Oh, what does it mean? 
thanks so much for listening to this episode of Hair Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod, and you can email us at hairdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rach. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts that lets you review because it helps other people find us. I'm Faye and when I'm not talking about Lyra and Pan, you can find me chilling on the internet at Faye which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about demons and dust, I'm making designer toys, art, and illustrations. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and on my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. A huge thanks, as always, to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings and the snazzy new theme tune. We'll see you in two weeks' time, and don't forget... Keep telling stories and all will be well. Goodbye, first chapter. Oh my god, the subtle knife!